Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning in today. Hey, did you know that Oscar Schindler wasn't really anti-Holocaust? Because after saving a thousand Jews from the Holocaust, he didn't do anything to employ them or provide universal health care afterwards. Did you know that the abolitionist movement wasn't really anti-slavery? Because they only focused on freeing the slaves. They didn't provide social benefits for plantation owners so that they would stop enslaving black people in the first place or address poverty during the 1860s. <laughs> now, clearly, these critiques are absolutely ludicrous and, and, and disingenuous because we understand that it's a good thing for movements that focus on justice to apply a narrow-minded focus to their goal so that they maximize the likelihood that they'll accomplish their goal. And certainly because the Holocaust and slavery were the dominant issues of their day, it required its own movement to seek justice and its abolition. Well, the same is true today for the pro-life movement. However, there's a new set of people within evangelicalism in the pro-life movement that call themselves whole life proponents or consistent life ethic proponents. And their belief is that you can't really be pro-life unless you're speaking out against every other form of injustice, unless you're adopting responsibility for a whole cornucopia of other societal ills. Now, this may make you feel very good about yourself by saying, I stand against all forms of injustice, but it's unreasonable for anyone to solve or end all forms of injustices. This is why we have movements and organizations focused on just one. So all of that to intro into a conversation and debate today that we're bringing you between Michael W. Austin, a professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University, and myself. Our conversation or debate was initially hosted by the Christian Research Journal's podcast, Postmodern Realities. And we are having a conversation and debate over this question, what does the term pro-life mean? Does it mean that you have to stand for all lives and speak out against all forms of injustice that target innocent lives? Or can it just apply to the issue of abortion? Obviously, that's the position I'm arguing. And I am going to defend the proposition that the pro-life movement is more than warranted, more than justified for focusing all of its time and resources on just ending abortion, just as slavery and the Holocaust were the dominant issues of their day, despite the fact that there were other issues going on. Abortion is the, is the dominant issue of our day. And the unborn is the only class of human beings left that it is still currently legal to kill. And yet we have these accusations being levied against us that you're not really pro-life unless you support open borders and universal health care and a basic universal income and you stand against homophobia and police brutality and systemic racism. How could anyone possibly address all those issues? So this, the whole life or consistent life position ends up fragmenting and bankrupting a movement, the pro-life movement, that's already underfunded and understaffed. So that's the intro to our debate today. I hope you enjoy it because it's very important that pro-lifers get the right answer to this question. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Christian Research Institute and the Christian Research Journal. I'm Melanie Cogdill, Managing Editor of the Christian Research Journal. It's September 2020, and you're listening to episode 199, which is a conversation in a point-counterpoint format about the meaning of the term pro-life. On this episode, I'm joined by journal authors Michael W. Austin and Seth Gruber, Michael W. Austin is a professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University, senior fellow at the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute, and a national advocate for gun violence prevention. 
He has published 12 books, including his latest this year, God and Guns in America. Seth Gruber is the West Coast Director of Life Training Institute, an organization of speakers that equips and trains students, Christian leaders, and churches to be gracious and pervasive voices for the unborn. He is also the host of the podcast, Unaborted with Seth Gruber, which is a pro-life podcast. Mike and Seth have written online exclusive feature articles for the Christian Research Journal. Mike's article is called Pro-Life for All Human Life. And Seth's article is called You're Not Really Pro-Life Unless You Oppose Abortion. That's it. And you can read these articles for free online at our website, Equip.org. Mike, Seth, it's good to have you on. Thanks. Good to be on, Melanie. Thank you, Melanie. So we did do kind of a online coin toss. And so Mike won that. And we're going to start out with asking Mike's first question. And then just so you know the format, each author will respond to that person's comment before we move on to the next question. So in terms of this particular subject, first of all, how should we apply the term pro-life? Is it only to the abortion issue in particular or should it be used more broadly as we look at ethics from a Christian point of view? Yeah, thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be on with you guys and discuss what I think has become a very important conversation. And it's, it's sort of become a little bit of a firestorm within Christianity and evangelicalism, particularly in the last decade. So I think it's important and worthwhile to discuss. And as I'll make the case, I think it's actually vital um, that we get the right answer to this conversation for the pro-life movement. Um, while the term pro-life obviously has the word life in it, um, everyone knows that when they are asked whether they're pro-life or pro-choice, they're not being asked whether you know they're for all choices or against all lives. They're specifically being asked, are they for or against abortion? I mean, pretty much anyone you talk to, if you ask them, if, are you pro-life or pro-choice, they know that you're asking them, what is your position on abortion? So that has been the, the way that the term has been historically used. And I would argue that given that abortion is the greatest human rights violation in human history, state-sanctioned slaughter of one million image bearers of God just every 365 days in our country alone that the pro-life movement does not accomplish anything towards its goals, which is restoring personhood and legal protection for unborn image bearers by diluting organizational resources away from a largely underfunded and understaffed movement to pursue justice for all people or to defend, quote, all lives. The word life in the term pro-life does not mean that we are committing ourselves as a movement towards protecting all life. We will do that in our personal lives. And I believe Mike and I will agree that individual Christians have a moral and spiritual obligation to do so. But that does not mean that the operational objectives of those who are in the pro-life movement must be directed and expanded to protecting all life. So that is how I would apply the term pro-life and how I believe that pro-life Christians ought to. Yeah. And so I think this is a good way to start because I think we agree, well, for sure about just the moral status of abortion in general, but I think the idea of activism or of operational resources, I agree. I think that it's that it's asking too much of the pro-life movement to take on every single issue related to life. And so as far as activism goes and people who are devoted to fighting for the end of abortion, I think we agree there. But I would like to use the term more broadly for the movement. 
right? So where, where abortion is an element of it, but not the only one. I think it reflects a, a scriptural view better about these issues because it, it reflects the theological underpinning, I guess I would argue, for support of the right to life of the unborn, that that they're fully human, made in God's image, just like us. And it made me think, I think maybe this will help get at the difference that Seth and I maybe have about this and kind of where we're coming from. But in the in the online article, he mentioned slavery and talks talks about abolitionist movement and that that it would be strange to say being an abolitionist means more than just, quote, a singular focus on freeing slaves, right? Not just African-American lives, but slaveholders' lives, not just African-Americans, but indigenous Africans too. And so I think that he's right that just like someone who is devoted to abolition of slavery, it would be wrong to say, look, you need to, what about all these other injustices? Right, it's asking too much because that's the cause they're devoted to. And I think many critics of the pro-life movement and people within it even may be using that kind of argument. Right? Why aren't you doing this, that, or the other thing? Well, we have limited time, limited resources. But what I'm concerned about, and why I would like to see pro-life be used more broadly, is think about the analogy this way with the abolitionist. If an abolitionist, then after the slaves were freed, after slavery was at least legally ended. As we know, many of those slaves ended up being employed by their former slave masters. They were still financially dependent, uh, vulnerable to violence, subject to Jim Crow laws, other injustices. And so it would be hypocritical and logically or at least rationally inconsistent to say, I'm an abolitionist, but I've got no problem with the economic injustice of sharecropping or segregation or other forms of racial injustice. And so what I'm worried about is that those of us in the pro-life movement I think we just need to be more careful with how we talk about other life issues. So when some of us express a callous disregard for immigrants, including immigrant infants and children, when we when we focus the argument on critical race theory and Marxism instead of talking about the real injustices faced by black people in America, um, when we ignore the disparities in access to health care, we're being inconsistent and hypocritical. So I'm not saying that all people who are pro-life should be fighting on all these fronts. But I am saying that a lot of these fronts fall within the pro-life movement, given its theological grounding, and that we open ourselves up to charges of hypocrisy or inconsistency when we express concern for the pro-life position on abortion, but then we take positions in other areas of life that seem inconsistent with that. So the next question will go to Mike from Seth. And so to expand on that, Mike, if pro-lifers took on every issue that your viewpoint takes as demanding us to take on, so we exhaust our resources to do so, and then we would minimize abortion to take on other life issues. And so then how do you support legislation that makes abortion illegal on a federal level, especially if it becomes, you know, this issue becomes diluted in terms of expanding the meaning of it and making it kind of more an umbrella term. Yeah, I think that is a, an important concern. And so I agree with Seth, that requirement doesn't make sense. So take any cause. He uses the example of Oscar Schindler. Uh, I think that was a point that's well made. But I guess what I'm concerned about is, especially those of us who are Christians, right? And, and we're committed to being pro-life across all of life, we need to have a significant number of us and a significant part of our resources as the sort of global or at least, you know, body of Christ 
to deal with this issue, to reduce abortion what, through the law, through cultural means, those kind of things. But there are others, right, within the body of Christ who are called to some of these other issues. And so just like we can't all do everything, I don't think all of us should do only one thing. And so we, we need to strike that balance. And that's not to say that, you know, one issue is necessarily just as important. I mean, I think just given the sheer volume, the numbers of human beings killed by abortion, that's one of, if not the primary moral issue of our day. But there are other issues that aren't just about quality of life, but actually protecting human life as well. And so we need to have a more communal focus there. So I'm all on board. We can't dilute the resources. But what I want to say is let's take those same beliefs that ground our pro-life views about abortion and apply them to these other areas of life. So specifically, Mike, what I wanted to ask you was if you did see the type of consistency that you believe is lacking within the pro-life movement corrected, would you support along with the pro-life movement legislation that makes abortion illegal on a federal level? Oh, personally, would I? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think this is something honestly I've struggled with because I, I want there to be fewer abortions. And I, I think the law should protect the most vulnerable among us. So it would depend on the specifics of the law. But but yeah, I mean, I'm, I consider myself part of the pro-life movement in that classical sense. I really, and it, it, for me, it has less to do with, I mean, it has some to do with Christian theology, but also just a more general philosophical view about human nature and human persons. Well, are you wanting there to be fewer abortions or are you wanting to ban abortion on a federal level? Well, that's a good question. I'd rather there, I want both, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I want to ensure that we at least want the same thing here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because often these accusations of inconsistency uh, come from people who would not support a federal ban on abortion across the board. Um, making it illegal first, and then uh, while we continue to work to make it unthinkable at the same time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think my question about the ban would just, I would want there to be cases where it's allowed the health of the mother in some, like a real limited range of cases, but for the life of the mother. But yeah, abortion, I mean, abortion is birth control. I find that distressing. Although I guess I will say this to make sure I'm clear. I want us to address all this stuff at once. And I think many in the pro-life movement are doing just that. So this isn't a criticism, but I want us to not only deal with the law, but I want us to see what can we do to help that 15-year-old pregnant girl or the 26-year-old pregnant single mother who's on her own. What sort of social support can we give so that whether it's legal or not, abortion is seen as less of a live option than it is for many today. And I do think that, you know, as we continue in this conversation, that most of the people I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know that there's been a poll, but I would say people who consider Christian evangelicals or not just evangelicals, because there are many Roman Catholics involved in this movement as well. But I would just say Christians in the mere Christian sense who are opposed to abortion, that they would want to see that abortion be illegal. I don't know that anyone in a camp wanting to think through what the meaning of the term pro-life is. Is it just limited to talking about abortion or not, which is this discussion. So I, I would think that most people who are in that camp, although I can't say for sure, there might be some evangelicals who would not, you know, consider themselves in that camp. But I would assume that for this conversation, the three of us are, that's a baseline for us, right? We are opposed to legal abortion. Of course. Yeah, I think so. But there are, I mean, it says right there are people, and I, 
I think you're right. Might not be most people, but there are definitely are people who who are pro life but want to leave the law as it is. And so that's part of the issue here, I think, with this conversation is, you know, what do we do with that? Does that make sense? What are the arguments? But but yeah, for us that that sounds good. Mike's next question is a little statistical. He notes that there have been eight hundred and sixty-two thousand abortions in the United States since twenty seventeen. And obviously, there have been tens of millions of abortions since the passing of Roe v. Wade in the 70s. So given these astronomical numbers, um, and this is a question for Seth, why should pro-life Christians be focused on any other moral and political issue? Yeah. And so as, as I said at the top of this show, this conversation, the pro-life movement, and I think I can confidently speak on their behalf to this question and this answer, believe as a largely religious group of individuals that our personal responsibilities, our spiritual responsibilities as individuals, as born again followers of Jesus, are broad and they need to be inclusive as well. We have a lot of individual responsibilities to love our neighbors, to make sacrifices to love our neighbors. And the, obviously the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, sort of stands as one of the timeless examples of that truth. You know, you pass a bleeding victim who needs immediate help and you act to help him. And of course that would apply in a plethora of issues across our culture today. But again, it doesn't follow that the operational objectives of the pro-life movement must be broad and inclusive as well. I mean, and this is really the point that I want to communicate. This is this is scandalous. It is only it is only the pro-life movement that gets these critiques. I think Mike and I agree on a lot. We agree that Christian ethics demand individual responsibility to care for the least of these on a wide spectrum of issues in addressing the suffering of countless types of individuals who are being mistreated by other types of systems, sex trafficking, slavery. You know, we still have racists in our country. We still have people who act sexist towards other individuals. You know, we could talk about if unjust uh, immigration laws. We can talk about, you know, unjust application of the capital punishment, as Mike mentioned in his article. We can talk about the poor. We can talk about so many different issues that Christians are called to care for. But to make the jump from that individual responsibility of pro-life Christians in their individual lives to that jump to therefore the pro-life movement as a whole must expand their vision, as Mike mentions at the end of his article, is scandalous. And it's scandalous because we're already a largely underfunded and understaffed movement who, if anything, needs more funding and more people, not more issues to take on when other organizations are far better situated and funded to do so. This is not a question that either of you asked, I don't think, but just as an interim before I ask another question of Seth's, this term, Seth, do you believe that pro-life is exclusive, like it belongs to a particular organization or organizational movement? Because I think those are other questions that are asked right now in culture, right? You know, is there a difference between the belief of a phrase versus the actual organization behind a phrase? Right. Anyone can be pro-life insofar as you believe that abortion is morally wrong and it ought to be illegal. All that is required to be pro-life is to speak and act as if abortion is morally wrong. That's it. So you can be a pro-life Democrat. You can be a pro-life Republican. You can be a pro-life atheist. You can be a pro-life Jew. You can be a pro-life Christian. 
And our movement is made up of all of those people, of course, by the way, though, of course, the majority are, are religious individuals. Our movement is made up of a wide variety of individuals across the generational and religious spectrum. And that's actually continued to grow within that diversity within the pro-life movement. So the label just applies to your opposition to abortion. But obviously, then there's the movement. There's many pro-life people who believe abortion is wrong and, you know, they donate here and there, but they're not involved in the pro-life movement, you know, throughout their day, either in a volunteer capacity or part-time capacity. That movement that works and seeks towards the abolition of abortion is what it is. And that is our goal. And no other movement that focuses on addressing some certain injustice is hurled with critiques of somehow being inconsistent, as Mike mentioned in his article, or hypocritical, because they have a narrow-minded focus on solving what is arguably the greatest human rights violation in human history. Well, I guess that, I'm not sure that's getting to my question of, um, and maybe you can clarify it, is that the term, I guess, part of the discussion that we were wanting to think through is, should that term, and is that term only applicable to that, you can only use pro-life in terms of the pro-life movement regarding making the practice of abortion illegal? So the term pro-life, as I mentioned earlier and I mentioned in my article, refers to abortion. That's why I, I mentioned in my, in my article that it's, it's somewhat cynical when people say that pro-life means this, 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 and this. But if they were asked, if they were pro-life or pro-choice, they know that they're being asked their opinion on abortion. The pro-life movement, anytime someone talks about the pro-life movement, everyone knows that they mean the movement, the anti-abortion movement, the movement that is seeking to end abortion. And I think the rhetorical strategy of framing pro-life as pro-life is an important strategy because it does force the other side to defend their position, which is anti-life, right? And I know Mike and I would agree with that point. You're, you're saying these children in the womb don't have a right to life. You are the, That's anti-life. Of course, their euphemism is pro-choice, but I think framing it as pro-life is a strategic rhetorical step. And so, yes, pro-life, that term should only apply to abortion because that's what it's always been. That's what the movement is called. That doesn't somehow insinuate that pro-lifers or individuals in the pro-life movement are not for the lives of other people. In fact, the uh, religious conservative individuals are, according to Philanthropy Roundtable, are the most generous Americans uh, in the country. And guess who makes up the majority of the pro-life movement? conservative religious individuals. Um, and so we adopt that responsibility in our personal lives. So it doesn't insinuate that we're not pro the life of other people, but that term has always referred to abortion. As I mentioned in my article, the movement that is focused on ending sex trafficking is called the End It Movement. That's, that's it. There's a whole website on it. They have a whole bunch of partnerships with other organizations called the End It Movement. They're never critiqued by saying, well, why do you only want to end one injustice? <laughs> why do you only want to end sex trafficking? You're called the end it movement. Shouldn't that be ending all injustice? It's scandalous. Nobody would critique them of that. It's a really good rhetorical phrase, end it, and nobody criticizes them for only trying to end human trafficking. But when we say we're pro-life, people say, well, why are you not pro-all lives? It's scandalous. Of course we're pro-all lives. But that doesn't mean that the objectives and funding and time spent in the movement must be expanded to address other issues. And Mike, I'd like you to respond to that because that's Seth's second question is, you know, you would say that the pro-life movement must apply its beliefs to more than just abortion. So why do you think that? Yeah. And I think, again, I want I to draw the distinction between the pro-life movement as it, you know, as he's right, as it relates to abortion in terms of finances, operational resources, 
I am not arguing that people who are part of that aspect of the pro-life movement should then divide out those resources further. I think many of those critiques are, if not disingenuous, it's sort of like he said, they're sort of like gotcha moments. But what I guess what I would like to see and what I'm trying to argue for is that, you know, it's sort of the, maybe it was John Paul II talked about sort of a seamless garment of life, right? That this sort of pro-life womb to the tomb kind of idea. And what I would like, what's that? Cardinal Bernadine. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would like to see is rather than diluting those resources, I would like to see, so for example, someone like me who, I mean, I'm, I teach and write philosophy, but one of the main things I do that I would say is part of my, it's an outworking of my broad pro-life views is working on some policy things and issues related to reducing gun violence. And so the last measured year, about 40,000 people in America died of gun violence. Of course, that's much less than over 860,000 that died of abortion. But two-thirds of those, by the way, were by suicide. And so what I would like to see is there's a Christian pro-life movement. And yes, abortion is a part of that. But then someone like me that works to reduce gun violence, that's another arm of the pro-life movement. So we're not, rather than dividing resources and focus, we're saying, what grounds this pro-life ethic has implications across life. And not only does it have implications for our individual responsibilities, but also our social activism. Some of us focus on abortion. Some of us focus on gun violence. Some of us focus on health care. And the other thing I'm worried about, so that's one, the operational and the resources. I think Seth and I agree about that aspect. Where we disagree is I'm just concerned that there are those in, that would identify as part of the pro-life movement so someone who works for and advocates for the right to the life of the unborn, but they brag about the stopping power, right, of their new nine millimeter or, or how you shouldn't mess with his wife because she's packing heat. Then I think there are charges of inconsistency and hypocrisy that are justified. If I express a thoughtless disregard for the thousands who die by suicide using a gun each year, right, those, those charges are justified. Um, so, Mike, where, where are these people in the pro-life movement um, who have a thoughtless disregard and, and, to quote you, callousness towards any number of people that you mentioned in your article, uh, innocent civilians, due to American military actions, suffering minorities, uh, unjust application of capital punishment, death of suicides, as you just mentioned. Where are all these pro-life leaders who are calloused towards the death of these innocents? That callous, that's quite a term to use, uh, Mike. Where, where are these people? Yeah, I'm not making a claim about leaders, although I think you can find prominent, well, actually, they're, they're prominent Christian figures. Whether they would be a leader in the pro-life movement per se, I don't have anyone in mind like that. I'm thinking of well-known pastors. I'm thinking of my own experience, my own conversations with people who are very vocal about their abortion convictions, but make these kind of claims. So it's not a charge against the movement per se or the leaders of the movement, but they're people who are part of it, who have strong convictions, express them try to advocate for them verbally, that some of them do these kind of things. And I really, I, yeah, I'll stick by it. I think there is a callousness to some of them. Just well, like, be, by the way, on the flip though. side. Go ahead. Let me say, yeah, just like on the flip side, I will say this. I think there are people, and Christians especially, who have, you know, this term fetus fatigue, right? That we're sort of like 
tired of the abortion issue and just want to move on, that's a different kind of callousness we have to guard against as well. So anyway, sure. sorry about that. Go ahead. Sure, that's fair. But to be fair, though, Mike, I mean, you do say, quote, the pro-life movement must apply its beliefs to more than just abortion, end quote. I mean, that you know, that's from your article. So when you're talking to us right now about, oh, well, I can't really name any members or significant leaders in the pro-life movement who exhibit this callousness. But, you know, just some people that I talk to and pastors who say they're pro-life, but then exhibit callousness towards other issues. You know, you're kind of baiting and switching now. Now you're talking about, you know, some some ghosts of a pastor out there who might say he's pro-life. But your article says the pro-life movement must apply its beliefs to more than just abortion. So my question is just why? You know, how can you reasonably ask the pro-life movement to apply its beliefs to more than ending abortion on demand, which is the only class of human beings that it is currently legal to kill? Because well, to, let's, um, Yeah, I was going to say, well, first of all, I want to give a little break here and say to our listeners that you're listening to the Postmodern Realities podcast from the Christian Research Institute and the Christian Research Journal. Today's guests are two of our authors, Michael W. Smith and Seth Gruber. They have both written online exclusive feature articles for the Christian Research Journal in a point-counterpoint format on the topic of the meaning of of the term pro-life. Mike's article is called Pro-Life for All Human Life, and Seth's article is called You're Not Really Pro-Life Unless You Oppose Abortion. That's it. And you can read these articles for free online at our website, equip.org. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode, this conversation and debate between Michael Austin and myself over the question, what does the term pro-life really mean? And must pro-lifers expand their movement and their focus on other issues as well in order to be truly deserving of the term pro-life? Obviously, I think no. I think that is a, a cynical position that will only bankrupt and fragment a movement that's already focusing on the arguably greatest injustice in human history, the killing of a million babies a year in America alone. So to help us create more of this kind of content, to reach more people, change more minds, change more hearts, save more lives, and bring our content to the streets, consider becoming a patron of the show. Go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Check out our tiers and our perks for patrons of the show that you'll only have access to if you support the show. And thank you so much for considering it. I think that to continue this conversation and to go on to Mike's other question for Seth is, and that's just part of the conversation that you were just having, is that you know some are arguing that abortion is the main or even the only litmus test for the moral health of any society. So is that true? Should abortion be the main or only litmus test for moral health in our culture? No, of course not. For example, if abortion was illegal and there were no abortions, but there was spousal abuse or there was still systemic racism or there was any other number of injustices that we were willingly accepting and, you know, displaying apathy towards, that would also be a way to, you know, a litmus test of the sort of the moral compass or health of the culture. Of course, you know, there's any number of injustices that we might tolerate that would uh, be indicative of our, you know, maybe the moral decay of the culture. However, I would argue that abortion is the greatest example. So it certainly is a litmus test in and of its own right, even though there may be other issues that would also function as litmus tests of the country's moral health. But given that it's the greatest human rights violation in human history, uh, you know, upwards of a million babies slaughtered a year because the numbers are a lot higher because it's really hard to track 
uh, the amount of abortions due to the abortion pill and now the push by the abortion industry for telemedicine abortions. So even the numbers that Mike mentioned, which I know he's getting those statistics, I've seen them too, it's probably even higher. So we're talking about like a million babies a year. Uh, it's legalized. This is state-sanctioned slaughter, unlike any other slaughter of human beings in American history or world history, because it's being state-sanctioned and legalized. It certainly functions as the, I would say, the greatest litmus test of the moral health of a society. And so, therefore, because of the great moral evil that abortion represents, the you know reinterpreting the same premise of slavery that not all humans are persons, the pro-life movement is more than justified in a singular-minded focus towards just ending abortion. But no, certainly there could be any other number of issues that could function as a litmus test. So Mike, how are you responding to that? I mean, basically he's saying that that is the most important thing to think about when we talk about the moral health of a society. And why should the pro-life movement then expand to include you know, gun control like you've talked about or immigration reform and, and so forth? Yeah, and I think we agree it's not the only litmus test. I think in many ways you could argue it's the main one, but there are some deeper, sort of more difficult metaphysical questions here or issues that are controversial. And so I think we have to be honest about that. Even though I come down on the pro-life side, right, there are some difficult philosophical questions as you get into this. But look, I guess my, I mean, this relates to what we were just talking about. I have this concern that you know, if you think of Robert Jeffress or James Dobson as leaders of the pro-life movement in some sense, others who are pro-life who aren't concerned about drone attacks under the Obama administration or some of these other issues, those other issues are part of, they're a litmus test, right? So I saw, a, it was a social media post, which made me think of this question that somebody said this, it's your daily reminder that abortion is a litmus test for the moral health of society. If we get everything right, from care for the poor to healthcare to economics, but get this wrong, we're still sleepwalking through the mass destruction of innocent lives. And I think that point is well taken, but I would want to argue that if we get abortion right, but much or all of everything else wrong, care for the poor, healthcare, racial justice, et cetera, then we're still a deeply morally sick society. And I don't think Seth and I disagree with that, but I think some within the pro-life movement, I'm not asking them to devote their time and resources, but I am asking them to have a consistent worldview that all life matters. And so it is important because we should be above reproach. We should have intellectual and moral integrity. And if if we're not concerned about the Iraqi child who dies of a drone, then there is a deep inconsistency in our view. So I would like to respond to that briefly and just say that I still, my guy, I still don't think that you've really provided any evidence that your critique of the pro-life movement and what you just said has any basis in reality. Uh, when I pressed you on it, you just mentioned some individuals you talked to and maybe some pastors, but you were criticizing the pro-life movement for being inconsistent or hypocritical. And you mentioned in your article that some of the uh, inconsistencies are valid of the pro-life movement, but you're talking about the pro-life movement. So where are the people in the pro-life movement who, as to quote you, seemingly don't care or are callous towards the death of other people? I've been in the pro-life movement my entire life. My mother was leading a pregnancy resource center when she was pregnant with me. I've been swimming in these waters for 29 years this weekend, a little more if you count, uh, if you count my nine months in the womb. And I don't know who you're talking about, Mike. With all respect, I do not know who you're talking about. Except maybe, yeah, some some uh, lifelong Republican in the middle of America and hates abortion, but he's callous towards other people. Sure, okay, whatever. There's always some person out there who's not a very nice person. Talking about the pro-life movement, where are these people? Yeah, well, I didn't say, and I think I was clear, the whole movement, but I said there are people in that movement 
And so they're part of the movement. And so look, I just gave a couple names. We can give more. And so I don't know what else to say except for people I've talked to, people that, you know, Jeffress, you can talk about him, you can talk about, you know, Falwell Jr. will end those Muslims. I mean, these are people that while you might not see them as part of the pro-life movement per se organizationally, they are representing the pro-life movement, unfortunately, I would argue, in the minds of many. And so that's my concern here. It's not meant to be a character attack on the movement as a whole, but I'm trying to ask people in the movement, am I applying this across all things? Am I calloused? And then when I see people that are, I could, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, except for you might not know anyone, but I do. I think that Mike's next question is probably, you know, I want to spend some time discussing that because it is probably foremost on people's mind with regard to this particular issue as they think through what does the term pro-life mean? How is it applied towards ethics from a Christian point of view? Because we are in an election year in the United States. And so back in 2012, actually, one of our authors, Scott Klusendorf, who is part of the organization, I think he's the founder of the organization that Seth is involved with, Life Training Institute, he wrote an article for us called 2012 Elections, so eight years ago, almost a decade ago, five questions for pro-life advocates. And he argued that you should not vote for any candidate that does not express their concern for pro-life issues that they would not call themselves, that they would work towards legislation, towards ending abortion. And so can a Christian be pro-life? This is Mike's question to Seth but vote for political candidates who are not pro-life. Now, I also want to say that in response, kind of a point-counterpoint to the article that Scott Klusendorf wrote for us, our late editor-in-chief, Elliot Miller, wrote a response called The Politics of Abortion, Should Christians Vote Straight Ticket?, in which he argued that Christians maybe should not vote for only one political party. And so he would have considered himself staunchly pro-life as well. And so I just wanted to point our listeners to those two articles, which are available free online at our website, equip.org. So you might want to think through these issues because these issues are still important today because we're talking about them. So Seth, how would you answer that? If you're a Christian that's pro-life, can you vote for any political candidate who is not pro-life? My position is that we cannot vote for a party that is pro-abortion. And anyone with a semi-functioning moral compass would, of course, reach the conclusion that the Democratic Party is the party of abortion. And, you know, evidence of this is just very recently with the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act proposed by Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska. And you had three Democrats vote for an anti-infanticide bill. However, they're all pro-choice. They just happen to come from districts where you've got a little bit more red and they might uh, sacrifice their re-election if they didn't vote for an anti-infanticide bill that in no way limited abortion. So obviously, the Democratic Party is the party of abortion. Our position is that you cannot vote for that party. And so we could think of scenarios, for example, where maybe you have a pro-abortion Republican and a pro-life Democrat. Some people might say, well, you have to vote pro-life always. So you have to vote for the pro-life Democrat. In that situation, I, along with, I would argue, the majority of the pro-life movement, um, would actually contend for voting for the pro-abortion Republican. And that's because we understand the legislative strategy in place to end abortion. 
right? Abortion is legal. We need to make it illegal when it is legal to kill a whole class of human beings. While there are many things that you need to do in that battle to end it, the foremost is to make it illegal to kill those human beings, right? That's why the abolitionist movement was so important. We need to make it illegal to treat image bearers of God whose skin happens to be black like they're cattle. And so in that situation or context, pro-lifers cannot vote for a Democrat who happens to hold personally pro-life views when that gives another seat in Congress to the party who is now better strategically positioned to pass more radical abortion legislation. Mike, how would you answer that yeah. since this was your question? Yeah. I don't if Seth has more to say, I just don't understand that why you'd vote that way if you want to change the law when the person ostensibly is pro-life will vote for the law, but maybe we can come back. But I think, look, this is where another place I think we disagree. I think that a pro-life Christian can vote for a political candidate who's not pro-life. Not that I would necessarily always agree with that vote, but look, they might think that every other issue related to the life and dignity of human beings leads to vote for the other candidate. Would you they say might, the same thing about slavery, Mike? Well, let me finish and then we can get to that. They might think that actually fewer abortions will occur if the pro-choice candidate is elected. You know, some people make those arguments. I'm not in a position to evaluate the empirical stuff about that. I've read some of it, some beliefs, but no convictions. But I also understand why a pro-life Christian would always vote for the pro-life candidate. I'm centered on the justices they think they'll appoint to the Supreme Court. But I'm just going to be honest. I've become cynical over the years of both parties, uh, which is partially why I'm just a registered independent now. I'm cynical about how the Republican Party seems to make use of this issue to garner support. A pro-life friend of mine the other day said we need just one more pro-life justice. And I feel like that's a carrot that's been dangled in front of the pro-life movement by the Republican Party for a long time. And I'm concerned that we're being played here, and I hope that I'm wrong. But I'm also extremely disappointed uh, in leaders of the Democratic Party, many of whom argue you cannot be, you know, I think Sanders said this, you cannot be a Democrat and pro-life. So so I would never, this is a strong disagreement, I would never just vote party line. I'd rather take it a case by case by the individual candidate in play. And would you say the same thing about slavery? Would you, if you were in the 1800s, would you be willing to vote for a pro-slavery Democrat, um, which they nearly all were, because, you know, you have to consider how they might decrease slavery or address the underlying causes of what makes slaveholders purchase black people in the first place? Yeah, it's a hard question. I guess I think there are some differences here, but here's what I would say. If choices to have the law reflect my moral beliefs or have society be a lot better off, I'd rather reduce abortion, reduce slavery, and kind of let the law die by being ignored than just solely focus on the law. I want to address the cultural issues too. I think it's it's a false dilemma. I think it's a both and, but I can understand why somebody would make that vote in the abortion case. And here's where I think the the metaphysical debates here, the philosophical debates about human persons are relevant, right? It's while I am staunchly pro-life, it's a harder, more difficult argument to make about the moral status of the fetus compared to the moral status of African American human being. I'm not saying that I think the conclusion's the same, but I think that's part of the difficulty, part of the disanalogy between those two cases. Okay. But to be fair, you didn't really answer the question. Would you vote for a pro-slavery Democrat because they might stand uh, good on some other life issue? I mean, no, but because I think it's a different kind of issue. Okay. So how is the moral status of the unborn not equal to the slave when we both believe they're image bearers such that you wouldn't rationalize a vote for a pro-slavery Democrat, but you could 
you could see yourself rationalizing a vote for a pro-abortion Democrat. I guess, so here's what I'd say, if we're going to do this thought experiment, if voting for a pro-slavery Democrat somehow led to there being slavery being vastly reduced and large numbers of slaves freed, and I voted for it, someone who was against slavery, but their policies would lead to more slavery, then I'm more concerned about what actually happens. That's more important to me than what the law says. And I think also we can say with regard to this topic, just on a broader basis, that, is that the current system in the United States, I'm sure not all of our listeners in the United States, but the way we have it right now is a lot of times, you know, how can we get people, especially Christians, and that's what we do through the Christian Research Institute and the journal, to think critically and understand what they believe and why they believe it. Because I think there, we'll agree that there are a lot of places where it comes time for elections wherever you are, and you just try to find, okay, where's a list of who I can just vote for? And I'll just vote for these people without really looking into their views on any number of issues, including abortion. And so I think that's something that is kind of happens specifically, I think, in the Christian community, right? There's a lot of lists. And I would say I have in the past, long time ago, have voted on those lists. And some of those candidates who were pro-life, unfortunately, did not have, you know, moral fortitude and other things. And, you know, now they're in prison. This was in California. So it's been a while because I now live in North Carolina, but not that we shouldn't, we wouldn't know what they thought about other things necessarily that would, or if they were not morally ethical people when we're just voting for them. But I, I will bring up that is that a lot of people just go ahead and that's why we had this straight ticket thing, right? Because what you do is you just go there and then vote straight ticket. Although Seth, you are arguing that would be a good thing to do with regard to abortion to vote straight ticket. And I guess Ellie would differ from Scott on that. And so people can go back and read that. So I want to just ask another question that was from, and I think we've already talked about some of these things, but you know, Mike has talked about various different injustices that Seth has brought up, including gun violence and other things like that. And so what does that mean? And he was talking about that. Does like specifically Seth give the example of anti-sex trafficking and their movement? So no one has asked their movement to have integrity and consistency and expand their movement because it's called End It. Is that right, Seth? End It? Yeah. But can they oppose various things in their personal lives while making their involvement in that particular movement, the anti-sex trafficking movement, to be focused on one thing? Why would that movement need to expand what they do and focus on other things? This is for Mike. Okay. Yeah. So I think this is where the category is important. So I guess what I would like to see is that the end it movement, that we would conceive of it as part of this more broad pro-life movement. Because look, if we want to have integrity and be above reproach, that's one thing we can do. We can say, yes, the pro-life movement right, came about in response to abortion, we're going to deal with this. But the same truths, the same theological beliefs about human nature that undergird our opposition to abortion and being pro-life, they have implications for these others. So they're different arms, so to speak, of the same movement. I think maybe it's not clear in the articles. I'd like to be, but that's what I'm trying to argue. I'm not trying to argue for a fragmentation of resources, but saying, look, it's part of a broader movement. And within the Christian church in America, where we're trying to really big picture. It's about the kingdom of God, where the rights of all are protected, the lives of all are protected, the quality of life, right, is improved as we can do it. So that would be my answer to that. 
Right. And if I may, Melanie, I, and I think this is where Mike and I agree, again, regarding the Christian ethic, where we disagree is the blending of the Christian ethic with certain operational objectives. And so if I can jump back to a question that I think you might have just skipped over, Melanie, no worries. I just, uh, this is perfect timing regarding what Mike just said. So Mike, you mentioned in your article, quote, we must not ignore or downplay the fact that the same theological and moral truths that undergird the pro-life abortion position also applied to other life issues, right? I agree, of course, in, in the same way that anyone who would fight any type of injustice is hopefully, right, whether they acknowledge the Lordship of Christ or not, is doing so because we recognize that these are image bearers of God, and therefore they have intrinsic dignity and value. So this is very confusing to me. If the theological worldview that undergirds the pro-life movement applies to many other issues as well, which we agree, then why do you selectively target the pro-life movement to expand? Why not your movement, the gun control movement? Because the same theological truths that undergird the pro-life movement undergird your gun control movement or the immigration reform movement or the end human trafficking movement. In short, why do you pick on pro-lifers? Well, I think the idea is it's the classification of the categories. So you historically, you want to take the term pro-life and say it just has to do with abortion. What I'm arguing for, I'll grant that historically, I'm arguing that to be pro-life in a broader sense includes all these other issues. So so just conceptually and, and logically speaking, issues about gun violence, immigration, or even you know slavery around the world, those kind of things, those ultimately what's fundamental to those things is life and its value. And so it's life and its value that's the starting point. And then abortion is a part of that. Gun violence is a part of that. So the reason I'm not asking them to broaden their movement is because any more than I'm asking the abortion movement to broaden its movement, right, operationally. But I'm just saying as Christians, the Christian ethic is a whole of life pro-life ethic. And so I think we should conceive of all of these things as part and parcel of one large movement. So that's the difference. I guess the question is for Seth, do you think the term pro-life, because you said at the very beginning in your opening comments that it has to do with, you know, if you ask somebody, are you pro-life or pro-choice in that context, people know you're talking about abortion. Would you say that it should not, the term itself, not the movement, the operations of people who are working to make sure that there's legislation so that abortion becomes illegal, but rather the term itself do you think that it should not include anything else except for abortion? I mean, no, of course not. Because doing so leads to the, I think, obvious question, which is, so what? If it applies to more than abortion, then are we responsible for more than abortion? That's, that's why I find this whole conversation so strange. Firstly, because of the selective nature of its application, right? No other movement is questioned so vehemently as the pro-life movement as, you know, why are you not expanding your vision? You know, oh, I saw a Facebook post one time where you displayed what could be perceived as callousness towards another issue. Maybe you're not really against sex trafficking. It, it's firstly the, the, the strange selective nature of this application only against pro-lifers. But secondly, it's the real world application. What does that mean? Right. I, I don't under, I don't understand what Mike wants from the pro-life movement. The, the pro-life movement as a movement comprised of individuals and leaders committed to making abortion illegal are not responsible for some random pastor who maybe showed callousness towards some other individual. Our goal is very narrowly defined. Yes, the same theological truths that undergird pro-life undergird other issues because we understand that we're image bearers of God and have intrinsic dignity. But I don't understand what the critique means. If we expand pro-life to mean more than speaking and living as if abortion is wrong, 
then what that actually does, and this is very important, it sends a message that pro-life does not just mean opposition to abortion. And so you tell, and this has become so popular, you tell the next generation that what it really means to be pro-life is XXXXX, fill in all the blanks. That fragments a movement that is already underfunded and understaffed, and we do not need other issues. We need more support. So pro-lifers will link to other issues rhetorically all the time. In my talks, I talk about the history of the civil rights movement. I talk about Oscar Schindler. I talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I talk about William Wilberforce. I talk about historical genocides and the importance it was of people who stood in the gap to proclaim that all humans are persons and the tragedy that we're committing the same mistake by accepting the premise that some humans are not persons. So we'll rhetorically link to these issues all the time, but we won't direct operational resources away from those issues. And I know Mike is not saying that, but then the question becomes, then so what? So why critique us at all if that's not what you're asking us to do? I want to know what are the real world results? What are you actually want of the pro-life movement with these critiques? Yeah, I think the real world results would be, I mean, I honestly feel like you straw man my view. I'm not saying random Facebook posts, random pastor. If you don't think James Dobson is a significant figure in the historical pro-life movement, then you're just wrong. And and so if my critiques don't apply to you or a particular member of the pro-life movement, then that's great. But there are people who it does. And so I'm wanting people to reflect on themselves Am I applying these same beliefs to other realms of life? That's what I'm talking about. And I don't see how having a larger movement where other causes are brought under this broader umbrella is a problem. In fact, I think it would strengthen the movement. And the so what would be, you might still get these charges that, that we get about being inconsistent, but they they would be false, right? Because you could say, yes, I, under, I agree that what grounds my view about abortion also protects the right of, of immigrant children or Iraqi children or a black American child who dies in his front yard due to gunfire or a white American child who dies in his front yard due to gunfire, whatever it is. And so if that doesn't apply to some individual person, that's great. But I want us to be intellectually consistent and have a kind of moral integrity to see that all these things matter. Then the critique of those said individuals would be this, according to you, that they're not properly applying the same theological and moral truths of the Christian worldview. The, the critique would not be somehow that now their pro-life position is doesn't make any sense. The pro-life position is it's always wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being without proper justification. Therefore, abortion is wrong. If you believe that and you live and act as if abortion is wrong, then you are pro-life. And that's what it means to be pro-life. Now, if, if someone in their individual life, as we believe, we as individual Christians have, do have a, a broader and inclusive responsibility, is not doing that, or even worse, they're somehow you know displaying callousness towards other individuals who are being targeted by injustice, then the critique would be that they're not consistently applying the theological and moral truths that all human beings are created in the image of God. Not that somehow their pro-life label is somehow inconsistent consistent or somehow they're not really pro-life now. I would like each of you to think through some closing statements about what you want to say as to, you know, what is the true meaning of the term pro-life? Because that's kind of what we started with and why your view really encompasses what you think the term pro-life should be. And so let's see, we started first, I think we started with Mike's question first for Seth. So 
Seth went first, so I'll let Mike go first to end, and then Seth, you can end, and then I have some fun rapid-fire questions for both of you. Sounds good. Yeah, it sounds good. So I'm I'm asking for us to reconceive what it means to be pro-life, and it, it goes back to that argument Seth just gave about it's wrong to kill innocent beings, and the reason it's wrong to do that is that theological truth that we're made in God's image from a Christian worldview, that's what we would argue. So I want the pro-life movement as I'm asking it to be broadened, not as Seth and others currently define it, but to be broadened to say those same truths that generate our opposition to abortion and the fact that the rights of persons to live are being denied, that applies to all these other issues. And so when people charge us in the pro-life movement with being inconsistent, we need, number one, we need to ask ourselves that question, am I being inconsistent in my beliefs? And then number two, even if I'm not going to devote my time and resources, can I not see my brothers and sisters fighting for the rights to life and quality of life of other persons and these other issues, right? So pro-life, I want it to mean pro-life for all of life, this whole life ethic, where of course pro-life is important because we're talking about the right to life, but the right to life is relevant after birth, the right to a better life. Those things are pro-life issues because they're generated by that same fundamental theological truth. And so someone might be called to devote all their time and focus to the right to life of the unborn. But they should at least express some solidarity and, and let these other issues inform their votes as well. And what they say and what they do that reflect a concern for quality of life and protection of human life outside of the womb. Uh, and that's going to be grounded in our status as image bearers of God. And so I believe we should expand the meaning of pro-life beyond just abortion uh, as a how we conceive of the term, because that movement, both the pro-life abortion movement and pro-life and these other issues, it's got to be above reproach. It's got to have integrity. We each have our particular call within it. But if we really want to create a culture of life where abortion is not the live option that it is today for so many people, I think that kind of expansive whole of life, pro-life ethic is required. And Seth, why don't you give us your final comments about your convictions about the meaning of the term pro-life. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, yeah, thank you for your, your comments, Mike. Uh, again, Mike and I agree on the bottom line premise, which is that we as individual Christians have broad and inclusive responsibilities as born-again believers to care for the least of these. But I don't understand the critique of the pro-life movement needing to be, to quote what Mike just said, pro-all life. What that insinuates is that something needs to be done. I disagree that something needs to be done for the pro-life movement to prove that it is pro-all lives, just as we would disagree that the end-it movement needs to do something to show that they want to end all injustices. I understand that Mike is not saying he wants that to direct operational resources away from individual movements, but then why the accusation, right? The pro-life movement is pro-life. They are against abortion. We want to make abortion illegal and unthinkable. That doesn't mean that individuals in the movement are not pro the lives of all other people. It just means that we have a narrowly defined focus. And the selective application of this attack against the pro-life movement, I think, gives away the game. It shows that it's not being consistently applied to all movements. For example, Mike wrote a piece on June 11th in Psychology Today called Logic and Black Lives Matter. And far from criticizing Black Lives Matter for only focusing on black lives that are allegedly being systemically discriminated against in our criminal justice system, he defended the statement saying when someone says Black Lives Matter, that in no way logically implies that other lives don't also matter. 
It's, he said that it is clear why Black Lives Matter is a needed message. In many cases, at the interpersonal and systemic levels, Black lives are not taken to matter. They are seen as less valuable, expendable, or not worthy of love and respect. In a world where Black Lives Matter to all, we wouldn't need the message because we'd already believe and live out the truth that it proclaims. But that is not our world, at least not yet. Why are there not critiques against Black Lives Matter for being against school choice, for being silent on the fatherlessness rate in the Black community, for Black Lives Matter being rapidly pro-abortion? No critiques from Mike or others on the Black Lives Matter phrase or movement. It almost as if it's a good thing that Black Lives Matter is just focusing on protecting a specific form of Black life, which is Black lives being targeted by systemic racism, allegedly. So why is the pro-life movement attacked with criticisms of not somehow being pro-all life by taking the same approach that other organizations like Black Lives Matter are taking who are not criticized when we simply are focusing on a certain form of life, unborn lives, who it is currently legal to kill through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all and funded by the public dole. So I don't understand what the accusations mean in the real world. We are all pro-all life, but that doesn't mean we're going to expand our vision or goals as a movement. And I think given that abortion is the largest human rights violation in human history, we are more than justified in maintaining our narrow-minded focus, and we're not responsible for certain individuals that maybe don't care about some of the same issues that Mike does as passionately. Let's expand the theological undergirding worldview, but let's not put that label or accusation on pro-lifers. Well... It's been a fun conversation. So thanks, Mike and Seth, for being guests on the Postmodern Realities Podcast. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and debate over this question. What does the term pro-life mean? And what does it mean to be pro-life? Abortion is the greatest human rights violation in human history. And the unborn child is the last class of human beings that it is currently legal to kill. The pro-life movement will not be successful in their mission, making abortion illegal and unthinkable, as long as others are requiring them to address more than abortion itself. If you want to read my entire article, as well as Mike Austin's entire article that was initially published at the Christian Research Journal, as we mentioned in the podcast, then go on over to equip.org. That is Christian Research Journal's website, and you can read both of those pieces. Um, share those with other people as well. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, if you want to book me for my tr- pro-life speaking tour, my church tour, or my university tour, um, go to my website at sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter, see my speaking schedule now that I'm back on the road. And if you have any questions, email those into the show at unaborted at sethgruber.com. That's unaborted at sethgruber.com, and we'll see you next week.